Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're so excited to spend some time with you today. We hope that this message inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose. Let's jump right into the message. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. If you're sitting there thinking, my goodness, where did the time go? You missed service because it's an hour ahead. I want to welcome everybody, our guys who are, who are streaming that were at the men's retreat all weekend. We're so thankful that you're here. And we're starting this important collection of talks. If you're here physically, when you came in, you should have received this card that says Church Church. If you did not receive it, just simply raise your hand up and Gerald will frantically come run and bring you one. Or, oh, by Gerald, I mean Don. Yep. Well organized here. Uh, we also have one digitally as well. So if you go on our Facebook or Instagram page, you can screenshot this bad boy. Uh, we've got some more on that side, Don. Take your time. No rush. No rush. These cards are going to be kind of our note-taking guide over the next couple of weeks. This is going to take us all the way up to Easter. And I, I'm so passionate about this topic because we're talking about church hurt. And, and for those of you that have been in church for very long at all, you've probably experienced already some level of church hurt. Why? Because the church is full of imperfect people like you. And at some point in time, you're going to be hurt in some capacity by someone in the church. And, and what I want us to do is over the course of the next few weeks as we're approaching Easter, I want us to go to a path of not just forgiveness, but of healing. I don't just want to put a Band-Aid on a hatchet wound, but I want us to be able to actually form cracks in our heart, allow the Holy Spirit to seep in through and heal you from the inside out so that you're not just healed from this offense, but you are already got the algorithm of healing for the next offense because it's going to happen because church is full of imperfect people. And so over the course of the next four weeks, three weeks, and then, and then Resurrection Sunday, we're going to be on this journey of healing. And so this card is for you to be able to go back, study more. We've got the Scripture in it. And I want you to really to be able to also, I think that maybe God can have you be the conduit to someone else's healing. And so I want to equip you with that. But, but what is church hurt and why does it hurt so bad? It doesn't hurt so good. It hurts so bad. And I think this is why, because Satan, is, his greasy fingerprints are all over church hurt. Because when you get hurt in the church by somebody, it inevitably affects your relationship with God. It does. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to get hurt in the church and not have it affect your relationship with God. I heard one preacher say that church hurt bruises your soul. Now, I don't think that's actually physiologically possible, but you understand the depths of church hurt. And so during our time today, we're going to look at it. But, but I, I, I want to start right away with like one of my famous cheap sermon illustrations to show you church hurt. So, and, I, and, I, and this is actually on your note-taking guide, but I want you to really remember this. Like I want, that thing looked like a, a, <laughs> a black mamba across the stage. I had to get that out of there. Uh, just, just cords everywhere. Sorry, I have ADD. I, I, I want you to see this. This is, this is important because this is going to be something that I want you to remember because this is how church hurt works. So in this instance, you are this glass. And, and the good parts of church are represented by lemonade. 
Now, now lemonade it represents the good parts, man. When, when the sermon like speaks to you directly, when, when you have great worship, when your children are getting spiritually fed, like when you leave and you feel like, man, I have been fed, I'm ready to go out and win the world. Those are all the good parts of church. Like this is the lemonade. And, and early on into your journey in church, like that's all it is. And it's the good stuff. And it's the things that like you, you, you feel good about, you like all the different parts. But inevitably, you're going to experience an offense of some sort. And, and, and it can be surface level. It can be somebody was kind of rude to you or the preacher didn't really talk to you very much or you just didn't like it or one of the deacon's wives chewed you out. It could be something a little more painful like you tried out for the worship team and you just you weren't good enough. Like you ever watch American Idol and some of those people try out and you're like, dude, you don't have any friends because somebody should have told you before you got to this point that you don't have a good voice. Like, that may or may not be you, but, but there's that. And then it goes all the way to some serious offenses that I'm not making light of them. I've, I've spoken to, to people before that in their childhood they were molested by somebody who was in the leadership of the church. That's a serious hurt. That's a serious wound. That's something a lot more than just, ah, get over it. Because there's levels of it, because there's imperfect people and there's sin. And Satan is going to be all in the middle of all of this. Why? Because he wants to cause your relationship with God to suffer. And that's, that's the root of it all. And so when an offense happens to you of some kind, this is chocolate milk. And, 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 and at first you're just, oh man, you're just loving how church tastes. You just, it's quenching, it's refreshing. It's different. But inevitably, that offense is going to come. And, and at some level, whatever the variable is of the offense, and then, and then it adds some chocolate milk to your experience. And you come back, and, and there's some good stuff still. But you know what? Now that the offense is there, it's not the same anymore. It's tainted. Something's different. And, and it doesn't taste like it used to. God, it tastes gross. things I do for you people. And it doesn't taste good. And you're like, this isn't going to work anymore. Something's wrong with this place. And so what do we do? We take our glass and we go to a different church. But the offense is still there. And you think, when I get to this church, I'm going to have a clean slate. But it's not. Because you're there. And wherever you go, there you are. And if you don't show up, you won't be there. And blessed are those who can laugh at themselves, for they will always be amused. You're there, and you take your offense with you. So then you go to the next church, and, and, and it starts pouring that lemonade in again. And, and, and then when it pours that lemonade, like, it's not as bad as it was before, but, but it's still there. And once you leave one church because of an offense, it's just easier the next time, and it's easier the next time. So over the course of these three weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday, I want us to figure out the algorithm of how to actually eliminate all of the offense in your experience, in your relationship, in your life, in your church, so that God can pour that pure lemonade back in you. And so we can't just keep carrying this with us. So what do we do? Like, we got to figure out how to dump it out. And since I don't have a trash can,
Oh, that you clap for. Golly, that's terrible. On the bottom of your note cards, it's going to say, what did this illustration mean to you? And I want you to think about it once we come through the end of this message. Wow, that was a mistake. The first step to healing, though, you're not going to like. You would love if I just took out my Hogwarts magic wand and could say some kind of spell or hand you some kind of elixir that would just heal it, but it's a process. And the first step you're not going to like very much because the first step is how what God often does is he takes a mirror and he holds it up for a moment and he says, let's examine you for just a minute. I notice that when my wife and I get in a fight and when I get in my car and I want to pray to God of all the things she needs to fix, he seems to want to only talk about me and it's kind of that way. So, so we're going to take the mirror for a moment and I have this in your notes, but I want you to hear this. We often tell ourselves the version of the story that makes us look good. We call it revisionist history. And before we can talk about the offense that someone else has done to you, let's talk about the offense that maybe you have done to someone. Then it may not be this particular situation. In this particular situation, if there's one instance of hurt, you may be 100% a victim. But I'm going to imagine that if you examined your life and examined the areas of your life and the opportunities that you have had to hurt other people. We're oftentimes so much faster to forgive ourselves than move on and kind of rewrite that version and then focus on what happened to us. You don't believe me, the person that offended you in church or that caused you hurt has probably either forgot about it or has convinced themselves from their angle that that they were justified in their actions and they move on with their life and we take this hurt on like it's a backpack and we take it everywhere we go. And just like this glass, once you are going through the victim mentality of offense, nothing is ever the same again because you see it through the lens of your hurt. When I was a history teacher, one year, two years actually, I taught about the American Revolution, which I loved, man. And, and I was all about Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death and the Declaration of Independence. And like I just loved every bit of it. Then... We had a substitute teacher. She was a fill-in, and she was from England. Like, she sounded like Sharon Osbourne. Like, she had a really cool voice, like, straight from England. And, and I remember telling her, like, man, I'm teaching about the American Revolution, the Revolutionary War. You remember that one war where we kicked your butts? Like, I was alive in the late 1700s, but, but I acted like I was. It's kind of like us guys when we root for football teams, like we put on jerseys of the team and then talk trash to other people who aren't on the team and you're not on the team, but, but we find some sense of pride in it. Like it's kind of weird, isn't it? Isn't that weird? But anyways, I digress. And so I told her about that. I said, man, the Revolutionary War, man. And she's like, she's like we, we, we teach it a little bit different than England. And I was like, you what? No, no, there's only one way this happened. Y'all taxed us way too much. No taxation without representation, so we defeated you. And she said, we don't even call it the Revolutionary War. We call it the American War for Independence. What's the big difference between that? We mean the American War. Y'all started it. She said, no, 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 no. We allowed you guys to come be a colony, and all we asked is that you paid a part of the taxes of the people that brought you there. And it wasn't good enough for you. 
And by the way, the, it wasn't even a real war. It was really just the cleanup of the French and Indian War. And the reason that we, we lost, we didn't lose, we just lost interest. And it was mostly because of the frogs, which is what they call the French. And I remember that gave me a little bit of a different perspective because I was like, well, maybe there are two sides to this coin. It's the subtitle of the message, two sides to the coin. And what, and what I want us to understand during this time is maybe the way that you've looked at a particular situation isn't 100% the way that it was. And over time, you have allowed your offense to grow and maybe your part to play in it was a little bit different. And again, you may be completely innocent in this, but at some point in time, I'm sure that you weren't 100% innocent in a situation. Why? Because you're imperfect. You need Jesus. We all do. We're going to look at a story in the Bible of a character by the name of Jacob. It's way back in Genesis. And for those of you that read Nicholas Sparks' books, this is totally your jam because we're talking about some love today. I don't mean love. I mean love. There's a big difference. We're in Genesis 29. I know you're laughing online. Here, not so much. Online, so charming and funny and charismatic and magnetic here. Not a fan, but, but online, they love me, y'all. Genesis 29, verse 9. This is Jacob. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came up with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Now, time out for just a moment. <laughs> what just happened right here is classic dude. He sees Rachel, and then he's going to go roll a stone away. He's like, oh, I, I picture the ooga, ooga when he sees her, and he's like, I'm going to go roll the stone away. Pff, no big deal. And like, he pushes a stone. He waters sheep, which may not be very manly, but I'm sure he's carrying the bucket, like doing a little bit of curls as he's lifting that thing of water. And I just, I find the Bible so interesting. So, so picture that. And picture that you're Rachel, and you're probably like, ooh, la, la, like this is a nice guy. And, and then, then he, he comes in a little aggressive. This is a red flag, girls. Verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep out loud. Be like, dude, y'all got, you got problems. You got more issues than Sports Illustrated. Like, stay away from me. Verse 12. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father. That's another red flag, but culturally that happens a lot. Of her father and the son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. So you have Jacob, you have his uncle Laban. Laban has two daughters. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Hold on just a moment. Hold on. So Leah was the oldest of the two daughters. Culturally, she's got to get married first before Rachel does. And the Bible says she had weak eyes. One translation says dim eyes. D-I-M, dim eyes. What does that mean? Full disclosure, there's, there's some theologians that, that think separate things. And some of them say that means she may have a visual impairment of some sort. Some say maybe that she had some sort of uh, uh, cataracts or issues. But most fall upon 
It just meant that she wasn't as vivacious. She wasn't as full of life, you know, as, as Rachel was. She, she, Rachel would have been energetic and happy, and, and Leah would probably have been more like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh and just kind of a, a bummer to be around and not a great conversationalist. And that's kind of where they land on. Either way, Moses, who writes Genesis, goes out of his way to let us know that Rachel would have been more attractive than Leah would have been, at least to Jacob. And, and I wonder for just a moment how Leah would have felt in that situation. So she's, not, she's just a small part of the story, really a, a side set conversation. But I want to point this out, that when we're on the journey of church hurt, there is inevitably some casualties that doesn't involve you. And Leah's just kind of a victim in this whole story and forgotten a little bit in history. So let me ask you this. What does that have to do with you? If you get offended and hurt, even if it's justified, and you're convinced to pull out of the church, but, but you don't have a landing spot, and so what do you do? You justify it by saying, we'll watch online. Ooh, <laughs> some of you are like, uh-oh, I wish we wouldn't have stayed home and watched online today. But who is an unintended victim of that? Your children, your grandchildren, because now they're not plugged into a community with people that can pour into them. It's an unintended victim of your hurt, which is why Satan wants to do it. He wants to separate you from God. So I wonder how Leah feels in all of this, because her part to play isn't over just yet. Verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. This is his dowry, dowry, and, and, and seven. So anytime you see seven in the Bible, it's, it's completion. And so he says, I'll work for you for seven years. And Laban said, it is better to give you to her than to some other man. So stay here with me. And then one of the most romantic verses in all of Scripture, like Nicholas Sparks probably wrote this, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel but they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. Like, that's like every teen romance show we've ever seen. Like, I imagine as Moses is writing this, he's like, and seven years, but it only seemed like a day to him because he was so in love with her. He probably dotted his eyes with hearts too, you know what I mean? Like, and the girls are just like, ah. Oh. And the guys are like, man, there's like this bile taste in the back of my, my, my mouth. But, but the story's about to take a little twist. What does this have to do with church hurt? I want you to just remember as we're reading this story, we're reading it pretty much from Jacob's perspective. As you hear this, like you're thinking through the lens of Jacob. So remember that. 29 verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. Now, that's pretty direct. You're saying that to her dad, which is awkward, but here it is. Verse 22, so Laban brought, her, brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought Jacob to her, and Jacob made love to her. Now, hold on a moment. Now, you have to understand that forget Hollywood, forget Western culture, we traditionally now think at the moment you say you may kiss your bride, that that's when they get married or when the preacher signs that paper. But, but in God's eyes, the marriage becomes official when it's consummated. That's when it's sealed. 
you remember our message about a month ago on the birds and the bees, we talked about that's when the covenant is made. And so right now we have, boom, sealed, covenant, marriage, Bethlehem. Verse 24, and Laban gave his servant Zilpah, which is probably where you're going to name your children, to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah with an exclamation mark. So I deserve an exclamation mark. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Now, underline that word deceived there in verse 25 because that's important. It's very important. Because as Moses is writing this, he writes it in Hebrew. Most of the Old Testament is in Hebrew. And, and Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, called the Torah, the Law, the Pentateuch, the Christians. And so Genesis is, or Moses is writing this in Genesis, and he uses that word deceived, and it's important. He, he, he puts an emphasis on it. It doesn't translate well into English, but in Hebrew, there's that word that's on purpose, and I want you to underline it. Now, before we talk about why that word's important, let's just unpack this for a moment. Because, like, how are you going to marry a girl, consummate the marriage, and not know it's her? You lived in her house for seven years, plus a month. You didn't know that wasn't her? Well, there's a few things. First of all, culturally, remember hermeneutics, context, culture. The wife, the lady, the bride would have a veil almost the entire time. And if you'll notice, Laban threw the feast first. Well, a lot of times the feast was after the marriage was consummated. He threw the feast first. And if you know anything about feasts in the Old Testament, oh, they let the red, red wine flow like water. And so if you mix in red wine, you mix in a feast, you mix in no electricity whatsoever, and a veil... You could see how that marriage could get consummated, at least under deception. Now, now I wonder what, what Leah's part is in this, because as you would expect, Jacob doesn't take this very well. He then actually works another seven years for Rachel, and they end up getting in love and getting married and all of that. And there's some other consequences of that, but that's for a different message. But the important part, the Rosetta Stone to unlock all of this, is that word deceived. And here's why. Because Moses, like, it almost like he takes a highlighter, like a, a light under it, and just exposes it like, hey, this word's important. You've seen it before. Especially when it's tied to Jacob. So, so where have you seen it before? you got to go back two chapters. Now, on your note-taking guide, it says Genesis 7. Throw a 2 in front of there. It's Genesis 27. And we see Jacob being involved in a deception just a few years prior. You ever heard that phrase, what's good for the goose is good for the gander? I have no idea what that means. But, Gerald, I bet you say that all the time. You're going to find out that Jacob had deceived someone earlier. A big deception. Maybe bigger than how he got deceived. And so it's like Moses saying, hey, see this? It's over here. 
And they link together. Man, I love the Bible because there's echoes all throughout Scripture. You see all these things in the Old Testament. Like, I honestly believe that you can't understand the weight of what Jesus did if you don't really understand all of the Old Testament. Like, it's pushing all towards Jesus. There's echoes, there's ripples, there's shadows all throughout Scripture. And I honestly believe this is one of them. So here's the story. You've got Jacob, and he's about to receive the blessing from his father. Now, I don't mean like, Lord bless you, but it's kind of the same. When you're the oldest, you received the father's blessing. It was a moment. And when you received that blessing, it was like you were the next patriarch of the family. Like you would get the double the inheritance. You would be the one that would be in charge. Like there was a lot of weight to it, and it was a one-time thing. And so Jacob had already deceived Esau, and now he's approaching his father, Isaac. Here it is. Are you ready? And Isaac is having issues with his eyes. You would say that they are dim or they are weak. There's an eye issue because Isaac is essentially blind. So Jacob dresses up as Esau, and he goes and takes the blessing. And that's where we pick up on Scripture here. 27, verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him, he deceived his father. Isaac blesses Jacob. And Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. His brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. 34, when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me too, father. Bless me too. But he said, your brother came in and deceitfully took your blessing. It's the same word that we just read two chapters further ahead. It's the same word, the same emphasis. It's together, it's connected. Underline that. Write that down. 35. And Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Why is this important? We're approaching the end. Why is this important? Jacob had no problem when he was the one that was deceiving. He had forgiven himself rather quickly because that was his angle. That was what he wanted to do. That was, that, 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 that's what, how he got to where he wanted to be. That's what he had to do to survive. And, and, and then we have just a few years later, he's the one that's now deceiving. He's been de deceived now. It's almost like he got what he deserved. But see, often, church, we forget what our part to play is. We forgive ourselves a lot faster than we forgive other people. And essentially what we're doing is we're carrying this offense, and it affects everything we do. But the first step to actual healing, now I don't mean just forgiveness. That's a part of it. But it's healing is recognizing. Now we know the verses all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and those are important. 
but it may not even be sin. It may just be you carrying this grudge. And essentially what you're doing is you're putting a noose around your own neck and you're watering the tree as it grows. It's only going to hurt you. And it's going to affect what God has for you. So here's, here's what we do. We, we take ourselves and we pick up the pot that we're planted in and we just take it somewhere else. And we treat church as if we're a consumer. And if it's a product that we have an issue with, we just go to a different restaurant. But I want to tell you this. Can you be a Christian? A good one. Good one. And not be involved in a local church. Absolutely. Absolutely. It has nothing to do with the church. Can you really produce as much fruit and have the fulfillment that God has for you without you being in a local church serving? I would argue no. Because I think you need to be planted in the house of the Lord. I, I, at my house, I have a lemon tree. My, my daughter named it Lemon Face. I got no idea. But, but Lemon Face the lemon tree is in this pot. And it's only produced three lemons in four years that I've owned it. So it's not a very good lemon tree. But, but here's the point. A tree can never produce as much fruit when it's in a pot that gets moved around than it can when it is planted. And I believe that God's purpose for you is to be planted in the house of God so that you're not just moving from offense to offense to offense like a vagabond, like a nomad, just finding different places because when you are there, you're taking that offense with you. But what does it look like if we grow through it instead of get out of it? Sometimes God wants to bring you through it. Have any of you ever been in a, in a car crash before? Even a car accident? Angie's shaking her head a lot, Charles. Hope you have good insurance. I have. I've been a fender benders here and there. And this is what happens. When two cars hit each other, they both leave with a little bit of the other person's paint on them. That's kind of how offense is. It's how church hurt is. So before we can get to the spot where we can get healing, we have to recognize what happens when we don't let go of the offense. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be really talking about that. Next week, we're going to talk about the tree of life, the second tree in the Garden of Eden that everybody forgets and why Satan wanted them separated from that tree of life and what their life looked like after they couldn't get back in the Garden of Eden. It's really fascinating. But it's going to show you why Satan wants you separated from the presence of God. And then week three we're going to talk about, it's called the opposite of revenge. What forgiveness really looks like and then what we have bought as the fool's gold version of forgiveness. And then we're going to have a powerful moment on Easter Sunday in which you are going to physically be giving something to God. Meaning I'm going to have you actually physically write down what that pain is, what that offense is, what that sin is, what that pain is, whatever it is that you're carrying. Because here it is. Are you ready? This is the crux of the whole thing. When we don't forgive other people, we put ourselves on the throne room of God and say, I got this, God. I'm the one that decides who's forgiven and who isn't. I'm the one that decides when healing can happen and when it doesn't. And when we do not forgive, when we do not submit things to God and let God be God, 
We minimize the power of what Jesus did on the cross. This is the part where you celebrate. Come on, lift up a shout of praise. Come on, somebody. But he cannot heal what you do not submit first. He can't. He's not going to. It's against his character. He's not just going to reach into your soul and give you healing unless you submit it to him. So over the course of the next week, what I want you to do, my challenge to you, and I've already done it, is I want you to write down, give it a name, be insanely specific as to what that is, who that is, what happened, what that instance is. We're going to write it down. Then on Easter, we're going to go literally put it on the cross. And we're not going to post it on social media and say, <laughs> John Smith, you have been forgiven by Jennifer. <laughs> but, but it's a physical representation of what happens to happen in your heart. And if you're in a spot where you're like, man, I'm new to church, and now this kind of scares me. I don't know if I want to be involved, if I'm going to get hurt. Or if you're in a spot where you've never been hurt in church. Awesome. I hope it stays that way. It probably won't. So I have to, we have to equip ourselves on how to get through it instead of just run from it. Oftentimes when we're in this pit of offense, we're praying for God to get us out, but he wants to get you through. He wants to teach you how to build that ladder so that you can climb out of it so when the next offense comes or when the next hurt comes or when the next pain comes, we're not living, needing miracle to miracle to miracle, but we're sustaining, we're growing, we're thriving, and that's what the life of God needs to look like. So I want you to think of that. What is that? And how can we get to healing? Remember the story of Jacob. It's the first step. It's two sides to the coin. What have you been forgiven of? And let God be God. It's really hard. In fact, I can often forgive people when they've done something to me. But man, it's hard to forgive someone if they've done something to my kids. Some of you have kids who, who have had a spouse, their spouse, that left them, divorced them, hurt them. That's tough. If you hurt my kids, we're going to have a problem. You can do what you want to me, but you either you let God be God or you don't. If you let God be God 99.9% .9 of the time, you don't let God be God. Let's lean into what God can heal from church hurt. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together, and then we're going to end our time by just singing one more time. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for each and every person within the sound of my voice, God. If they're watching online, listening, if they're here physically, Lord, I just thank you for your word. That your living word is alive today and can still speak to us regardless of our season, God. I pray for the people in this room that, that have been carrying something for years and, and, and it's grown roots so deep that it's literally going to take surgery from the Holy Spirit to get this out. Lord, I thank you that you say no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But you don't say that there's not going to be weapons formed against us. Throughout this week, God, I pray that we will have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive your word, your healing. That we will hear from the Holy Spirit, God, to 
get us through this path, Lord. God, I thank you that throughout the, my life, throughout our lives, even during times of pain, there's evidence of your goodness all around us. Give us eyes to see that, God. We trust you, God. We trust to let you be the one to fight our battles for us, Lord. I pray for some of the people that have the deepest wounds for some terrible, terrible things that have been done to them, God, that throughout this process they will receive healing and that they will use that to tell other people about how good you are and that healing is possible, God. I love that you don't want us to change the world, but you let us be a part of the story of you changing the world, God. I pray that boldly amongst everyone here. Lord, we love you. We praise you. You know I would do anything for you, God. And all God's people said, God spoke to you in any way during the course of this message, we want to hear about it. Reach out to us at centerpointtn.com. You can partner with us. You can send us a message. We'd love to connect with you.